How many of you this week saw the Australian's Women's Weekly? Didn't you? Oh, I thought you did, Martin. <laughs> Any of you see it? I had a call from Denise Burgess in Tarong and she said, Ian, have you seen the Women's Weekly this week? I said, well, it's not something I ever read. What's going on? And he said, in the middle of there, there's a six page, it's got a very wide distribution, not just Australia, but in New Zealand, uh, a six page spread on what Helen and Tim are doing in Africa, in Uganda. But more than that, she's sharing her faith in it in the Australian Women's Weekly. Check it out this week. Now, what I, and the same week just so happened that she was also in the Herald because it was Refugee Day. But the point is, is I thought, wow, here is a real contrast. If any of you would like a copy of that article, just write on your communication card, put it in the offering bucket at the end, and I'll, I'll uh, make sure that your email address is up to date, and we'll get one flicked to you. So you can see how she naturally shared her faith this week. I'd like you to encourage you to take out your uh, message notes, and I want to say welcome to you online as well. Kimberly and I last night were just looking from where you're coming, Japan, Canada, Russia, China. United States, and of course, good old New Zealand, and it's good to see you guys here in the flesh too, and you hope. So if you take out your notes, I want to take a good shot today at how do we survive in a pleasure-seeking culture. The fact is, though, God has made us with the ability to enjoy pleasure. He gave us the five senses. I enjoy going to Burger Burger. (laughs) That gives me great pleasure. Food can give us great pleasure. Hobbies can give us great pleasure. I love squash. My boys love golf or tennis and stuff like that. That's all good. And then smell. I love the smell, for me, of freezers. I just can't beat that. Freezers are just gorgeous and feel. God says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, notice this. He, speaking of God, richly provides us... I love the way God, he's never miserly, he's never meagerly, richly provides for you and I, what does it say? Everything for our enjoyment. Now the problem is though, pleasure's the way God, like anything, he gave us food. But the problem is, over time we can become obsessed with these things that God gives us as gifts. So pleasure-seeking has become a cultural obsession. It's not just a good thing the way God intended it, but it's become the unspoken goal of life. Now, people don't go, so well, my goal in life is just to have as much pleasure as I want. They don't even be as audacious or braggadacious as to say that. But the fact is, for many people, having fun and pleasure is their number one goal in life, unspoken, and it's actually, therefore, their God, small g. 2 Timothy 3, verse, verse 1 through 5. Again, Grant read some of this this morning. But understand this. So in other words, hey, guys, I want you to get this. Understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Many Christians are surprised with the difficulty that they encounter in this life. That things aren't solved instantaneously. For people in these last days will be. Now look where the love is. This is an issue of the heart. Wherever your heart is, 
Lovers, first of all, it says, of self. It's all about me. My comfort, my pleasure, my convenience, my preference. Lovers of me. And by the way, if anything gets in the way of me, I'm going to push back against that. What say God says, I want you to do something different? That's not in your self-interest, but my interests. Oh, God, you're asking too much. Really? Second thing it says there, lovers of money. If it touches my money, no. Well, hold on. If God is the Lord of your life, he's not only the Lord of your heart and your mind, your thoughts, he's the Lord of everything. And the Lord owns what's in your pocket too. He can touch anything he wants. He can say, I want this, 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 this. Or you go, no, 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 no. That's mine. Lovers of money, lovers of self. Look at the last one. Lovers of pleasure. Pleasure. That's the number one. Whatever gives me the most pleasure, that's why anything that causes me displeasure or discomfort or inconvenience, I'm going to push back on. Rather, and it contrasts those three things, contrast Love self, love money, love pleasure, and contrast that to rather than being lovers of God. There's a distinct dichotomy drawn here. Do you know anybody like that? It's easy to begin to think that my whole purpose in life is just to pamper my nest and enjoy myself. But that is not true if you are a Christian. If you're a hedonist, if you're a secularist, I get that. I get it. But if you're a Christian, that is not true for you. God says pleasure is good, but it should never be your number one goal. Because anything that gets in the way of that goal, you're not going to do. And God says there's some things I'm going to ask you to do that are not going to be necessarily pleasurable. And never let it be your God. So Jesus warns us there are many dangers, and I'm going to quickly elucidate them, when we elevate pleasure seeking and by the way some people derive a lot of pleasure through possessions there's a danger when we elevate those things above God above God's purposes and his plans let me give you an example of that in my own family I have one of my progeny or our progeny who's decided very different to their cohort to not run off and pursue all the things that their friends are, like the characters, like the society is in this world, going down that way. They said, no, we're not going to let that drive the agenda of our lives. But we're going to put God's plans and God's purposes ahead of all that stuff. We're going to swim in a different direction. Now the danger, the first danger, and I just want you to write out the side. I haven't given you these notes, but I want you to write out the side. The first problem comes when we prioritize Pleasure is that it trivializes my life. It trivializes my life. Trivializes. You were not put on earth to just simply feather your nest, watch TV, play games, retire and die. God has a much greater purpose. One of them is go make disciples. Question, are you making a disciple? This is 101. Are you taking time with anybody on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to invest in their lives, to help them grow, to do, not just to teach them, but to teach them to do what I said? 
Or is it all about me consuming when I come to church, or when I come to small group, or when I go somewhere else? It's all about me. Are you giving back to anybody? Basic thing. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbors as yourself. Go into all the world, teaching them to obey. What about that part? Are you doing that for anybody? Well, you won't be, I can tell you for sure, if your life is wrapped around stuff and pleasure. Because you ain't got any time. God wants you to be productive for him. Whoa, what? Did you ever hear that before in church? He wants you to be productive for him. There's a bunch of parables about that. When he goes away, leaves his servants with a certain number of talents, gifts, and he goes away. And when they're away, he doesn't expect them to sleep on the job. Or ignore the task, he expects them to be productive. I haven't got time to go on that this morning. You may want to go check that one out. But let's look at this. Here's one. By the pleasures of living. I could also say this. By the pressures of living. Life, the life that God intended for them, is choked out of them. And they produce nothing. They're not my words. They are in the scriptures. Very convicting this week as I read this. Circle the word produce. You and I can spend a lot of time and effort. I spent four hours yesterday fixing windows. Four hours. And that was with two of us. But you can spend a lot of time and effort gathering stuff, building and playing and, pr- and paying for these things and never accomplish something on the other side of the ledger for God's kingdom. And that is God's word to us. It wastes your life to build it on pleasure. That, my friends, is the original trivial pursuit. It's trivial. doesn't matter a hill of beans. Number two, the second danger of elevating pleasure above God's plans is it creates conflict with others. It creates conflict with others. Where do all the fights and quarrels come from? Where do they come from? They come from, look at it, your desires for pleasure. And if it interferes with it, I'm going to push back at you. James says quarrels and fights result from the evil desires battling within us. Why? Because we want more possessions. And so we work every year that God sends until we're just about ragged. We need more money. We think we do. We want higher status, more recognition. And as a result, our relationships will suffer. Because here's a simple equation. When you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. That's an irrefutable law. So instead of aggressively grabbing what we want, we should say, God, I want to submit to your will. This is about discipleship. And ask God to help get rid of these selfish desires and trust him to provide for me and to use me in the way he wants because soon our life will be gone. That's the whole thrust of Lord, teach me to number my days. You know what, last night, I woke up this morning and my wife said, hello. Because we, well, she always says hello, but the son said, honey, I had a terrible dream last night. I I, I I dreamt I was going to die tomorrow. So I said, come down here. I showed him my computer again. I said, that in there is where everything is. Here's the password. 
There's a whole list of what to do if I go. But it just reminded me very seriously, our life is so short. Very, very short. The third thing, seeking pleasure above God's priorities, is it will tempt me to do wrong. Hebrews 11.25 says, There is pleasure in sin for a short time. Nobody would ever sin if it was a bummer sinning. But it says for a short time. If pleasure is the most important thing in your life, here's what will happen. You will let things slide even if God says, I want you to do this. Oh, 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 but this is more important. Or you'll let things slide even if God says, don't do it. But this is, this is good. I'm enjoying this. And you will avoid anything that has a potential to cost you your comfort or your ease. A guy that I tend to listen to, there's not a day goes by I don't listen to messages from all around the world. One guy who's really good to listen to and I recommend him is John Piper. John says this, walking by faith means what? Defeating the worldly temptation of trivial pleasure seeking with the promise of far superior pleasure in God. That was a very succinct statement. Number four, the pursuit of pleasure over God's priorities leads eventually to despair. And if you want to know the result of something, you don't have to go through all the pain. I like to learn from other people, and I want to learn from Solomon's biography. It's called Ecclesiastes. And he will show you there in this verse of the result of living a, a life solely for pleasure. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and verse 10 and 11, it says, I decided to enjoy myself. Anything I want, I got it. I did not my, deny myself any pleasure. <laughs> I love this. And he goes, okay, and he had all the money to do this. And he says, then I thought about it all that I'd done, and I realized it didn't mean a thing. It was like chasing the wind of no use. Ow. He's saying this in a sentence, that self-indulgence leads to boredom and despair. And when you're an unstated goal, because again, nobody would be so brash as to say that, to enjoy life and have fun, you notice something kicks in. You probably notice this. I have. It's called the law of diminishing returns. Too much of a good thing dilutes your satisfaction. Have you noticed that? Whether it's eating a steak or a cake. First two or three bites are really good, but it suddenly sort of falls off after that. I've noticed that. And God never meant you to find your ultimate purpose or satisfaction in life in pleasure. Now part of what makes pleasure pleasurable is that it's balanced with work and other things. And I've noticed some of the most bored people in life are those who have nothing else to do in life except amuse themselves from trip to trip to pleasure to position to whatever it is. So inevitably the pursuit of pleasure is boredom and despair. Number five, this is a deep concern to me. The pursuit of pleasure results in spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness. 
Grant read the scripture at the beginning. Having a form of godliness. In other words, they're almost looking, yeah, from a distance it looks like they're godly. But they deny, and you can read the rest of the verse. 1 Timothy 5.6 The one who lives for pleasure is dead. As good as dead. Even while she lives. You can go back and read the context. The person who is making pleasure their goal is not living for Jesus. They're living for themselves. They're existing from pleasure to pleasure. From possession to possession. Philip's translation of that verse is this person is killing their own soul. How does that happen? There are four steps I know from personal experience, and maybe you do too. The first step is your eyes see something and you have a fascination with it. This is a fascination stage. Pleasure from materialism can fascinate us. Then we take number step number two after we do that. This is a phase of preoccupation. Pleasure has a tendency to preoccupy your mind. You're constantly Googling or trade-meing it or whatever it may be. It starts to preoccupy you. And if you go out and you buy a boat, here's another way it can preoccupy you. And you go fishing, you have a great time. The next week you say, well, that wasn't enough. Let's go do it again. Let's go the whole day. And the week after that, let's Let's skip church this week. And um, all in this case, it could be, let's go renovate. And next minute, six months later, all your effort, time, and energy is gone, and you've lost something that begins to preoccupy you. The third phase is the phase of addiction. Addiction? Christians? Addicted? This is where it begins to control you, and you are no longer in control. Actually, this week, I read widely and broadly. One of the articles I uh, pulled up this week was from Psychology Today. And it marries exactly what scripture says. It's asking the question, why are we so driven? Why are we? This is a secular guy recognizing it in the culture. Why are we so driven to accumulate positions and wealth? And what follows is a piece called materialist madness or the madness of materialism. And it's talking about the culture's obsession with possessions. I want everything. See down the bottom of there? That's that little square. I want everything. And that madness inevitably leads to, de- to destructive behavior and consequences. So what are some of those? The scripture talks about those. The Bible says here, the end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory in their shame, sorry, and they glory in their shame. With, here it is, minds set on earthly things. So our shame as Christians is when we have been seduced by the world to set our mind on earthly things. Strong talk. But then he says, but in contrast to the worldly ways, I want to, but he says, no, 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 no. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I, as a Christian, live in this pleasure and possession obsessed environment without buying into the system that says my whole purpose in life is just to acquire 
I want to put and maintain and enjoy myself. John reminds us of this. He says this, for all that is in the world, and he names them here, look at it. Number one, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Those three things are not from the Father. So if they're not, that's a concern to thinking Christians. But it is from the world. That's where the source of this is. And he, and he says this as if he says, don't forget, don't forget this, that the world is passing away along with its temporal and trivial desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I could just sit down and we're done. That scripture is extremely convicting to me and maybe to you. So now we've pointed out a biblical worldview. How do we keep, how do I, how do you keep from getting sucked into this obsessed culture? Three things, or a couple of things actually. Number one, you and I need to refocus on the real purpose of our lives. Refocus. We've got our eyes on the wrong thing. We need to be continually reminded by God's word, by God's people, by his spirit. That our purpose in life is far more than being entertained. Far more than having fun. Otherwise, what will you risk for God? You'll batten down the hatches. You'll be tight-fisted with your time, which is really God's gift to you. And you'll never innovate for the kingdom of God's sake. We need to continue to remind ourselves that life is more than just experiencing thrills and good feelings and getting ready to retire. You have trillions of years to enjoy the fruits of a very limited time on this earth. Retirement is not the goal of a Christian life because it competes head-on with God for the primary attention of our lives. Jesus said very clearly, you cannot serve God and money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Retirement is a short-sighted goal. And Christians, you and I, are called to live in the light of eternity, not just this nano space that we have on, on earth. Why? Because here it is. This is why. Because the Bible says in Romans 14, 12, each of us will give, will have to give, a personal account to God. Think about the implications of that. Because you probably didn't think about that this week. That's what the Word of God says. One day, you and I will be evaluated. We often don't like to be evaluated, but God evaluates perfectly, fairly, and justly, and by the facts. He will evaluate us on how much time and energy we spend on ourselves compared to how much we also invested serving him and his purposes and his kingdom with our lives. 
Now, all that point, it will be very unusual when we stand there with all of our selfie centered excuses. They'll be sounding hollow. And there'll be something like this normally. I was too busy. And the question probably is, doing what? Or, I had my own goals. I can see that. Or, I was preoccupied with working. Or having fun. Or preparing for retirement. Friends, I've said this before. Anita, when you were at university, you were first and primarily there as a Christian. And oh, by the way, you happen to be getting a degree. Your primary identity is in Jesus. Martin, as a manager, you are primarily in your company as a Christian. As salt and light. And oh, by the way, you happen to be an international manager. But we need to get that the right way around. To encourage us, Peter reminds us of the incomparable riches of his grace shown to us through Jesus. Here it is, 1 Peter 1.4, the new NLT. The Bible says, God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So pleasure and possessions and retirement are a superficial reason. They are trivial reasons compared to the commands of Jesus. Remember, a great commandment to the great commandment and the great commission. Not a lukewarm, mediocre one. When life becomes defined by how soon do I get the next night on the town? Or back to the golf course again. Or my next shopping spree. Or how long is it till I upgrade to my next Android or iPhone? Or maybe it's a car for you. Or maybe it's a house for you. Till I get my next house and the next one. Sounds to me like the bigger barn scenario. Or my next trip overseas. But God says this to you and to me. 1 Peter 4.24 From now on. Put a line in the sand. Live the rest of your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desires. So you and I have two options in this life. You can either say, I'm going to be controlled by God's will, which is informed by God's word, or by my own desires. And he carries on. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. That means what the world does. But, he says, they will give an account of themselves to God. See, as a Christian, you have a new purpose in life. And you are called to a new life. Not the way the old life was lived. This is to be different. It's to smell different, look different. The fact is, Jesus changes your wants. If your wants are still firmly anchored back there, that's a very serious problem. Because it is indicative that the heart is still being tugged the old way. That you're looking for satisfaction and meaning and happiness in positions and power and prestige. 
The Bible says the real purpose in life, and he knows it because he created you. He gets it. He sees clearly. The goal is to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And out of that comes real meaning and real purpose and real life and a deep satisfaction, real pleasure. Russell Kirk is another guy I was reading this week. He's a social critic. He defines decadence this way. I thought it was insightful. Decadence is the loss of an aim or a purpose in life. It is the loss of an aim or a purpose in life. Very convicting. So men and women become decadent when they forget or they deny the purpose of their lives and thereby fritter away their years in trivial pursuit. You won't play that game again without remembering this message. Trivial pursuit. Secondly, emulate Jesus' priorities for living. You can't do better than copying the master. Life is a balancing act. And the the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything. And if you want to model, Jesus is our model of how to live. He was no ascetic. He actually went to parties. And he went to weddings, but he knew how to live life whilst having the Father's priorities firmly in mind. And by the way, I want to just point out something. If you don't plan healthy pleasures in your life, the world will seduce you with unhealthy ones. If you don't plan for healthy vehicles of pleasure, like recreation and rest and relaxation, you will be tempted and seduced by unhealthy ones, and they are everywhere. Paul understood this balance. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, For the earth and every good thing in it belongs to the Lord and is yours to enjoy. You may want to circle the word enjoy. You know what you can enjoy without compromising your biblical standards? If... You don't let it control you if you don't let that thing dominate your life. So you can't do anything. It's like you're in chains. Jesus set you free from the, from the penalty of sin. And today he sets you free from the power of sin. Eventually you'll be delivered from the presence of sin. But the point is, don't let him set you free from the penalty of sin. And then you just go put yourself back in handcuffs. Because you are now tied up and you can't do anything. Because this thing's got you. Paul says it this way, but, if, but I am not going to let anything dominate me. Remember the real purpose of life, to love God and to move his kingdom forward and love others. Is something stopping you there, that should give you a check in your spirit. Number three, avoid destructive pleasures. That's the third thing we need to do in our culture today. There are some activities that God says very clearly in Scripture that we are to stay away from. Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk. It's as clear as can be. Nothing wrong with drinking. Everything's wrong with getting drunk. I personally don't drink anything. And that's not because of a religious reason, but I saw what it did to my family because my dad was an alcoholic. Many of you know that. And by the way, there is some good science that says it's actually not good for your body. But, I mean, that's up to you guys. 
But the one thing is really clear on is don't get drunk. Why? Because you're letting something control you when you're drunk. And that's the exact opposite of self-control. The exact opposite. 2 Peter 2.9 says, don't get addicted to anything. It says here, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are not free. They are slaves of things that will be destroyed. Are you a slave to something that will be destroyed? For people are slaves of anything that controls them. That could be TV. You know, I know some people I see them at the gym. You can see I don't go that much. <laughs> but I know some guys that are spending three hours or two hours a day there. I'm going, good grief, man. I said, but the scripture said, let me quote you exactly. It says, bodily exercise profiteth a little, but spiritual exercise all the more. So that's the right balance. Could be food. Could be jogging. But whatever it is, it says don't be addicted to anything. You should only have one master in your life, and that is God. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, don't, there's another thing, don't get involved in sexual immorality. Real clear. And that will save you a whole bunch of heartache and a few diseases as a side benefit. All the laws and the prohibitions in the Bible are given for your benefit. Let's pick this up in Titus 2.11. It says this, for by the grace of God, excuse me, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now look at this. It teaches us to say no. That's a biblical word. In fact, you know, the just say no movement, they stole that from the Bible. <laughs> just say no to what? Ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live, as a contrast here, self-controlled, upright and godly lives, right? Godly lives. In this present age, whilst we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. A people. Hang on, why do you do this? Did you catch that? Why? Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So God purposed that he wanted his people to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Talking to pastors, people like me. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and don't let anyone despise you. God says, just say no. And no is a word that many Christians are embarrassed to use. The inability to say no is called an addiction. Is there any hope? Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I've had two people in my family who've been addicted. Yes. Titus 3, 5. For we ourselves were once slaves to passion and pleasures of all kinds. But, here's a contrast. I love it. The Bible is so clear. Was once like that. But now, when the kindness and love of God appeared, He saved us and gave us new life. I tell you what He does He gives you a new desire. He takes away that longing for the stuff from back there and puts new desires in your heart. And the good news is, a new life is available. And you don't have to stay trapped. It's not an admission of failure to admit an addiction, it's an admission of courage. 
my brother and my father never moved forward until they had that admission. And that can be the same for us. Maybe you have an addiction to work where it's got out of control. Or addition, an addiction to possessions which is out of control. That's got out of control. It's eating every hour of physical energy you have. Why are people so obsessed with pleasure-seeking? Because our society is so pleasure-conscious. And for many, it's just a flat-out escape. Many people fill their lives with hobbies because they don't want to face a, a very difficult, unspoken elephant in their room in their marriage. So they bury themselves in work or bury themselves in a hobby. Or the fact that their kids are not turning out the way they'd hoped for. The more stressful our society becomes, and counting it, it will get more stressful, the more desperately people are going to search for diversions. And there's this emptiness in every person's life. It's kind of like, as Billy Graham once described, it's like a God-shaped vacuum that we try to fill with other things. But you'll find, let me save you some time, effort, heartache, and pain, nothing else will satisfy but God. Our hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. The great news is when you come to know Jesus, he not only gives you the capacity to enjoy a relationship to God that you never had before, but he gives you the capacity to enjoy that relationship with God. And you'll end up with contentment like you've never had before. The Bible says this, a couple of scriptures I didn't put in your outline, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Secondly, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There, Matthew is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which is affirming, and Jesus is saying the same thing here, it is better to obey God's word than to satisfy human desires. Let's pray. Jesus, you said, you've come that we may have life and life more abundantly. And we know that you want us to live life to your fullest. And that's your definition of fullest, not the world's. Today, Lord, as we look at your word, we recognize that pleasure is a gift from you. And it's not wrong, but it's just a lousy master and a very poor, small G God. Lord, we want to be mastered by you, not the pleasures and joys in this world. When we do that, we know that the pleasures and joys in this world come into focus and they take on new meaning. And our life develops a much richer context. It's not the cheap, shallow emptiness that we've experienced before, but, it, but your love and your purposes replace that emptiness with a sense of satisfaction that can never be taken away. This morning, would you come face to face with God in your own heart? Shout out everybody else. And have a heart to heart discussion with God. Would you be honest enough to say, Jesus Christ, I know that you made me for a purpose greater than just to 
enjoy myself and go from one pleasurable experience to the next. I believe that you made me and want me to know you. So today, I want to open my life up again to you. I want to know you and I want to know your plan, what you want from me, Lord, and whatever it is. I want to say yes to you. Would you fill my heart with the abundant life and take away the emptiness and the boredom and the endless treadmill which I find myself on? Speak to me clearly through your word. Father, thank you for your word. And help us to live as a people, a different people to this world, who place you above all else in this pleasure-crazed culture, in the matchless, unique, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And you already said,